Mac Power Users, Episode 252, Five Essential Web Services. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd alongside David Sparks. Hey, David. Hello, Katie Floyd. How are you today? I'm well. And today, uh, this is a show that we've had in the works for a little while now. We've been we've been wanting to talk about some of our our favorite web services and maybe revisit some old favorites and and talk about some new favorites. And people seem to like some of these top pick shows that we're doing. So we figured, why, why don't we just highlight the top five that we're using right now and talk about them? The, the funny backstory is this started out with ten. It but, did, but we realized that to give them proper treatment, we needed to pair it down so some of them that maybe there'll be a five more web services one day we'll talk about uh, it's interesting to me that the web is really a platform now when we started the mac power users a few years ago uh the web was a place you went to you know look up um the phone number for the pizza place but the web has really developed into a place where work can get done and things can happen on your behalf especially people interested in automation and things like that and we've got all these services. We, we've kind of kicked around the idea of turning some into an exclusive show, like If This Then That is one of the services here. And you and I had a phone call today where you talked me off the ledge where I wanted to do a whole hour and a half on If This Then That. But yeah, now, the, um, they're, now they're going to send me hate mail because we didn't. Yeah, but the, the, either way, um, these the, we've picked five that we think are really worth knowing about and understanding. And we think with with just five and about an hour and a half show, we can give each one enough treatment to kind of get you started and, and teach you some things. Even if you already have some of these services, I recommend listening. We've been researching and finding some new ways to use them even better. So uh, without further ado, why don't we start with the first one on our list, the granddaddy of them all. Yeah, this is Dropbox. Now, we previously did a show in the Dropbox. I, I think it was when we were still in double digits with our, our show numbers. I'll have to go back and, and put a link to our, our Dropbox show in the in the show notes because there's still a lot to talk about with, with Dropbox. And people still love Dropbox. And I know there are competing services. You know, there's Box.net and you know, one of our sponsors, full disclosure, Transporter. You know, people have sometimes expressed a, an interest in moving off of these these cloud services onto, you know, more local services, citing concerns about privacy or citing concerns about, you know, who's looking at our files or who's control of these services. But I've got to say, in all of the time that we've been doing Mac Power users, you know, in coordinating with guests, we ask guests to record their audio and send it to us. It seems like everybody that we've talked to, if we say, hey, can you send us your audio, send us a link? They're like, sure, I can I can throw it in Dropbox. It seems like at least in the the semi geek community, everybody is is familiar with Dropbox and it, it's become fairly ubiquitous. Yeah, there's a couple things about Dropbox that I think um, explain its success. The first is they were the first one, not necessarily the first service out there, but the first service uh, cloud storage service that really took hold. And I felt like there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, I remember uh, the first service I started using was called SugarSync. And Me too, the, yeah. And, the, and they were having, I was a big proponent of it. And they were having trouble with like package files and things like that. The Dropbox seemed to figure out faster. So they were one of the first ones that, that showed up and really got it figured out. They're very fast. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget when I first started testing Dropbox many years ago that I was... um in my office and I would have a laptop and a desktop computer and I could save a file up to Dropbox 
And by the time I pushed my chair across the room, the file was already on the, the laptop. So it was getting across very quickly. And we probably don't need to explain, but for those out there who don't know, Dropbox is basically a cloud storage service. You save a file there and it puts that file on every computer you have connected to it. Um, one of the other reasons I think Dropbox has been kind of the big winner in the cloud storage game is massive support on iOS. Uh, when the iPad first arrived, I think it was that the iPad was the event that really triggered it. Um, Apple's solution for sharing documents to the iWork apps on the iPad was terrible. It was the old fashioned, you know, save another version and move it over here. And suddenly you've got 30 versions of the same document, blah, blah, blah. Or iTunes, connect it and share it via iTunes. Yeah, it it was bad. But but Dropbox was very quick to the game to say, hey, we're going to have a plugin that developers can use where they can easily save files from the iPad or iPhone directly to Dropbox storage, then users can see it on their Macs and, and PCs. So they, they really showed up with the solution that, that, in all honesty, Apple probably should have showed up with at the beginning. Well, and there's and, that rumor, isn't there, that Apple tried to buy Dropbox? And the question well, it's not, is, did it's they... It's not a rumor. Yes, yeah, yeah. But it, did they try to buy it to kill it, or did they try to buy it because they realized that they were weak in that area? Well, um, I would expect that they would have absorbed it. I mean, there's an article, I don't remember, was it Fast Company? I, I forget where it got published, but the um, the founders of Dropbox told the story about getting, you know, the call to go meet Steve Jobs and how he tried to talk them into selling their company to him, and they, they politely said no. But either way, uh, so I think Dropbox took off because they were fast and stable, and they had massive support on iOS, and they built this juggernaut of cloud storage. Now, that being said, in 2015, there are a lot of good options now. Dropbox is not the unique and special snowflake that it once was. iCloud storage, we did a whole show on iCloud recently, so we're not going to go in that in great detail, but iCloud file storage is is very comparable in a lot of ways. Uh, my experiments with it have been equally fast and stable, and I haven't had any documents lost or anything like that. And um, iOS 8 brought the ability for just about anybody to make it easy to save files to cloud storage and Microsoft's in the game, Box is in the game, um, Dropbox, and even Apple itself is in the game for mm-hmm. easily saving stuff off your iOS device. Yeah, Microsoft with, with OneDrive, though, although yeah. they have also now adopted Dropbox support. Well, all that being said, um, Dropbox still is a big player, and it's worth knowing there's some there's some nice features in there that you may not be using. I think the reason, one of the other reasons why it's so popular is because the idea was it's one folder. I mean, when you set it up, you know, initially there's one folder that syncs files. So you can bring that to just about anybody that has um, even the most basic computer understanding and they can figure that out. Right. And I think that was what was key to Dropbox's success is people could wrap their heads around it. Even if they weren't very sophisticated computer users, they understood this idea of a folder or a folder within a folder or a structure of folders. And they understood, okay, if I put it in this folder, it's synced. Or if I put it in this particular folder, it's shared with this person. And this folder is shared with this person. That's a lot less nebulous than some of the other cloud services that are out there. So if you've got a free account, um, how much storage do you have today? Well, that really depends. If you've been using the service for any length of time, you've probably got a decent chunk of storage because every time you refer a friend, they, you know, they've had various programs over the years. Um, I know several people that have, you know, hundreds of gigabytes of free storage in their Dropbox. How big is yours at this point? Um, that's a good question. Mine is, is at least mm, 20 to 30 gigabytes, I want to say. And it's, it's all free storage. I, 
I I haven't paid for an account. I paid for an account, uh, 24.9 gigabytes, and I have not paid for an account in quite some time. And I was, uh, I w- was fortunate because I was one of the early people on Dropbox. So I, I got the advantage of having to be able to refer several people. And then uh, at one point, it was when I was, I think it was when I was still a student originally. So I had an EDU account and they had a promotion that if you were a student, you could double your space. And then over the years, they had all these things. Oh, well, you know, connect to mailbox and get a gig, connect your photos and get up to five gigs and do this and do this and do this. And so you can build it up. But I think the initial starter Dropbox account, if you're signed up today for a fresh starter free Dropbox account, it's two gigs. Now for most, two gigs is a, it's not a ton of storage, but for most people who want to just sync a few documents, store their most important and most critical files, or use it as, for developers have used it as a backend to sync uh, their data that their apps rely on, you know, a lot like our friends over at 1Password have done, you know, a lot of developers can build on Dropbox as a platform because two gigs is plenty to do those types of things. Yeah, and if you want more, you can pay for it. Um, Several years ago, I upgraded to the Pro version, and I think when I first upgraded, it was 250 gigs, and now they keep upgrading it. So I'm paying $100 a year, and I get one terabyte. And I like having that terabyte of storage. I'm going to explain one of the things we're going to do with each one of these services, give our own kind of power trick for each one. And I'll tell you why I want all that storage later. I'm not sure if it's worth it because I've got so many redundant backups these days. But, um, uh, you know, as as things progress and iCloud and and Box and all these companies really are coming up with very good cloud solutions at some point, I probably think I'm going to have to to pick one instead of using two or three. It'll save me some money. But but for now, at least it's worth it to me. And uh, you get some nice extra features with that pro account. Like I said, you get the one terabyte of storage. Um, they've got encryption, which I believe the encryption is better. It's a 256 bit with the, the pro account. I'm not sure you get as good of encryption with the free account. Um, you can uh, you can restore previously deleted uh, versions of any file within 30 days. I which think you is, can do that on the basic account as well. Okay, and you know what? This is kind of a moving target because at one point it was it was an unlimited amount of time if you had a pro account, and now I think they've scaled it back because it's probably a bigger deal to maintain everybody's files forever. Mm-hmm. But um, but you can restore like that's in fact that's a trick people may not know about Dropbox. If you delete something that's in Dropbox accidentally. Uh, or if someone you're sharing a folder with deletes something or pulls it out of the file and puts it on their desktop, effectively taking it away from you, um, you can go into Dropbox and restore deleted files. So you should up know to thirty that. days. Yeah, yeah, that's um, that's huge because I my dad has a Dropbox account and basically everything he has is within Dropbox. His entire documents folder is in Dropbox. Everything is in there, and I don't know what happened. But one day he deleted his documents folder. I don't know if he dragged it to the trash. I don't know what happened. But all of a sudden, the world stopped working for him. And, you know, it was a, it was a weird troubleshooting. And I finally went over there and saw what happened. And I realized, oh, you, de- you deleted this folder. And, and my saving grace was, oh, it's on Dropbox. Yeah, in fact, I told a story about this years ago with um, my niece, who was in school at the time, getting her a master's and the same thing. Uh, when I set up her computer, I knew she wasn't going to be very good at backing up. And frankly, this was before Time Capsule and some of the other easier backup solutions now. But I just set up a Dropbox account and told her, save documents to this this folder. Right. 
I didn't really explain to her what it even meant. She only had one computer at the time. It wasn't really for collaboration, but my idea was cloud storage would be a good idea. And same thing happened. She accidentally deleted it, called me up in tears. I logged into her Dropbox account for her remotely, restored the file, and I still get awesome Christmas presents every year. <laughs> oh, look, uh, your file's back. So I guess that's another feature of Dropbox. It's kind of what we call the neophyte backup, you know, and... um. I, I don't want to call it a backup or we'll get the email, but it is a way to make sure that your files are someplace other than just on your Mac. Right. Uh, but, but continuing on with some of the pro features, um, they allow you to set expiration dates for shared links and set passwords for shared links, which is really nice. I kind of solved this problem without a pro account using a Hazel rule, but like cool. you can send out an account and a, a link, like if you're doing something on the, in, in my my world, the lost side, I can set a password to a shared link. So someone not only gets the link, but they have to know the password that I'll call them and tell them or text message them to use to get access to the file. Uh, you can also manage permissions for shared folders, which is kind of cool. So that helps you avoid the problem of somebody who's not who doesn't know what they're doing, but has access to the wrong folder, screwing things up in your life. Yeah. So. Do you find, tell, tell me why you subscribe to Dropbox for a terabyte of storage. Do you really have that much stuff that you need to keep saved on the cloud? Um, it, well, it started out, it was a lot less. Okay. And so I was paying for it because I wanted more than the 15 gigs that I had. And at the time, it was really the only service that allowed me to easily share files to my iPad. And so two or three years ago, it made good sense. And now there's a, a certain amount of inertia involved. but when they upgraded, and I was getting ready to delete it, frankly, when it was, I think, 500 gigabytes. And then they announced a terabyte. And I got thinking, wait a second, a terabyte of storage in the cloud is kind of a nice thing to have in your pocket. And and I'm going to get emails from people, and I want to hear them, frankly, about people who are doing a similar feature with Google Drive or with some other service. But since I had it already and it was already paid for, I decided to try this. And I have uploaded... All of my Rift movies, all of my software installation discs, all of uh, a backup uh, uh, JPEGs of every picture that I've ever stored in my Aperture library or Photos library, and every book, every digital book that I own. So I've got this massive library of media and stuff that I've put up into Dropbox because I can, you know, I have a terabyte there. And what I've done with that is now anytime, and because one of the features you have with, you know, the modern Dropbox, this is one of the reasons why we needed to come back to the topic is it's not just one folder anymore. You can go in settings and say on this specific computer, only sync down these specific folders in Dropbox. Yeah. And that so setting is called selective sync. So whatever computer you have connected and associated with that particular Dropbox account, you can select which Dropbox folders sync with that computer. And it's almost like a game finding it. If you haven't done it yet, you have to go into the settings and here, let me just open it up while I talk, because if you, if you don't know where to look, you'll never see it there. So if you're on your Mac, you go into the settings and Dropbox and go into preferences and then go to account and it says selective sync change settings. And it, it, I think they could do this so much better in terms of user interface, but either way it's in there. So you dig down and, and what I've done is I um as I've uploaded all this stuff, I have been, been very careful with my laptop to unselectively sync almost all of it. 
But like if I get a new machine or if I just suddenly am going to go on a trip and I want to watch Star Wars, I can selective sync that particular folder and Star Wars will come down from Dropbox to me wherever I'm at. So you have a, a pretty granular then file and folder system within Dropbox, I would imagine. Tons and tons of folders. That's the only way to really make this work. And it's kind of a hack to make it work to begin with, because, for instance, I was think you know, I have two computers now. I'm, I'm a fancy guy, Katie Floyd, yeah, so I can no. do that. But even my, my iMac doesn't have enough storage to hold everything that's on Dropbox. So what I would do is I would I would put, you know, 10 movies on my iMac and then I would put each one in a separate subfolder. So all these deep, deeply nested folders and I would sync them up to Dropbox. And once they were there, then I would selective sync, unlink them. Are you with me? Yeah. You get them up. You know. Yeah. So it's kind of a, a process. It took me about a month to kind of get that everything. Sounds I very wanted fiddly. Yeah, but it's all there. So now it's done. Like I said, it took me about a month and it, it, it was a few minutes every you know couple of days I'd go in and, upload some more and do whatever and just let it work in the background. But, you know, just think about the fact that I can be anywhere in the world and access any of that media or data that I want. I can be in Chicago and say, well, you know, I want to read this book. I don't have it on my iPad. Well, I can go get it. And uh, frankly, it's even easier to get it on your iPad because the iPad can see everything in Dropbox. Um, You don't have to selectively sync it because it's by nature. It's nature selectively syncing. It's only pulling down the things you specifically tell it to. And I can download a book on my iPad and read it. And that's another thing we haven't really talked about is the iOS app for Dropbox has just gotten better and better. And there are a couple of specific features in the iOS app. By default, the iOS app has access. Well, I mean, it does have everything access to everything in your Dropbox account, but it's only going to pull down the things that you have specifically asked it to. I mean, for example, Dropbox has a feature where you can star or make I think they call it making it a favorite certain items within your Dropbox account. And those items will be downloaded to your, let's just say your iPhone and and stored on the iPhone. But the items in your Dropbox folder aren't actually taking up space on your iPhone unless you favorited them and told uh, Dropbox to save to save those items to your iPhone. They also, a lot of people use Dropbox with iOS um, to back up their, their camera roll because, uh, you know, the, the photo stream on iOS is nice, but a lot of people don't keep their photos within Apple's photo ecosystem. So Dropbox was really one of the first apps. And I know that there are others now, Google does it now and the Transporter app does it now, that will allow you to, as you take a photo, upload your camera roll to Dropbox so that you're getting all of your photos backed up into your Dropbox account. Yeah. And I think that's one of the themes out of this this show is that a lot of these services overlap now. It felt to me like when Dropbox first showed up, there weren't that many people that could legitimately deliver a file sharing, you know, cloud service and Dropbox proved themselves as one of them. But now in 2015, we've got competitors, you know, people, some pretty big companies that have figured it out as well. So I don't know. At some point, is this going to be a thing where you just pick one horse? I mean, it's, you may not need to have services from all these people. I, I have not given up on the thought that I may be canceling my Dropbox uh, paid account when it comes up for renewal, because while the ability to have all the stuff immediately available to me through Dropbox is great, I also have all the stuff on my transporter. Right. 
And I also have all, a lot of this stuff in iCloud and I also have a lot of, you know, blah, blah, blah. So how many times do I need to back up my pictures? I guess if I ever lose them all, I, it, it will not have been enough. But And sometimes but, we get up, we get caught up in just because I can do something doesn't yeah. necessarily mean I need to. Yeah, well, it's in OmniFocus for me a month before my renewal comes up, which actually isn't too far off. And I will, uh, I will be considering it. But if you're somebody, if you're a Dropbox person out there and um, you have the paid account, I'm really happy with the ability to know that I've got this stuff available through the Dropbox app. So, yeah. Now, I don't want to dwell on this, but if we don't mention it, at least I I know we'll get emails from folks. But having all of your data in Dropbox's cloud, does that give you pause? Uh, It's not my tax returns. It's my movies. And I guess the, the pictures maybe could be of concern, but my pictures are not that interesting. Mm-hmm. So, 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 so I, it's it's clearly something you've thought about. Yeah, I I was careful. I mean, the big media, the, the the big reason I did that was I wanted to be on trips and be able to get things without having to think about it in advance. So, so that was that's really what I've got up there, and and I just wanted another way to back up the photos and you know blah blah blah. Uh, but even like I'm paying for my Backblaze account and I can get most of that stuff off Backblaze. I mean, I've got like four different ways to get this stuff at this point. So I'm probably talking myself out of this extended plan as we record the show. Yeah, I, um, I personally haven't found a compelling reason for it. OK, um, the uh, so moving on, though, um, if there are alternatives to Dropbox, I would say two of the big one. Well, there's several big ones. Uh, Google uh, Cloud Drive or Google Drive, Google whatever Drive, they call yeah. it. Yeah, the call to say is great. Um, if you're into the Google ecosystem, I think that's a good place to store your files. And Google, once again, like Dropbox, has got a lot of great hooks. Most services can save to Google Drive these days. iCloud, I think, is an up and comer. I mean, especially since they've moved to the new iCloud Drive platform. Yeah. So, which is essentially a copy of Dropbox in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, Steve didn't buy them, but in a lot of ways, they they took a lot of the same ideas and. If you're an Apple person, it's nice having everything integrated because Apple does a really good job of that. And the transporter is another option, which kind of solves that problem of not having it in somebody else's possession with a transporter. And I get emails about this once in a while. People asking me, they don't understand the difference. they say, well, either way, it's on the cloud. If you've got the app or the login, you can get it. And what I always say back to someone is the difference is like the transporter if i decide i do not want that stuff on the internet anymore i can walk downstairs and pull a plug and it is no longer on the internet uh which to me is kind of a big deal like all the legal stuff none of that goes in dropbox for me that all goes in transporter so it it just depends on you know the the context all right well i think have we about covered Dropbox? Yeah, I think so. We've, we saw four more to cover, so I think we have to keep rolling. All um, right. Well, let's before we keep rolling, let's take a quick break. And I do want to talk about um, our sponsor for this episode. Our first sponsor is Pixelmator. Um, now, you know, our pals over at Pixelmator have been off to an amazing start with 2014. And they have just con- or they were they had a great 2014. I should say we're now in 2015 and they just keep rocking it into 2015 as well. You know, probably in 2014, Pixelmator for iPhone iPad, uh, number one, they were featured in the Apple event. Uh, how cool is that? And they were also named best of the App Store for 2014. Uh, Pixelmator for iPad is a powerful image editor that gives you everything that you need to create, enhance your images 
all on the iPad, and it all syncs seamlessly between your Mac and your iPads. Speaking of syncing through cloud services, Pixelmator does that. Uh, it even lets you work effortlessly uh, with people who use Adobe Photoshop because they just don't know any better than to not use Pixelmator. Uh, Pixelmator takes full advantage of the latest iOS technologies, and it's fast, it's powerful, it will let you enhance images, draw or paint. You can apply these amazing effects and create advanced compositions just on your iPad. The amount of work that they have done to make this app. And I, I just, it's magical. I don't know how they've done it. Uh, you can get started with any of their beautifully designed templates and then just start going to work. You can use their retouching tools to do things like correct wrinkles or repair scratches and just make the flaws vanish away from your photos. You can rearrange objects or you can combine different tools and effects in an endless number of ways to refine your photos. There are an endless number of breathtaking effects that you can play with. It even supports advanced imaging editing with things like layers and selections, things that you would expect to see in apps that are much more expensive. You can open and save images using the PSD format, JPEG, PNG, PDF, and many other popular formats. It supports iCloud sharing, and it is built exclusively for the iPad. Uh, the folks over at Pixelmator have meticulously thought through this app, and they have built it from the ground up for iOS 8 and the iPad. It is designed to take full advantage of all of iOS 8's features and technologies and to leverage the full power of the 64-bit architecture. If you want to see some of the examples of the amazing work that they've done, head over to pixelmator.com to get some idea of the types of things that you can do with this app. Uh, and when you're ready to buy, head over to the App Store and check out Pixelmator for iPad. And when you do, uh, drop them a note and let them know that Mac Power users sent you. So thanks to Pixelmator for their support of the show. So this next one was kind of difficult to put on the list. We this is another one we had to talk about because it's a sponsor and that's Sanebox. And uh, we can't. At one point we had taken them off the list, but it really is, in my opinion, one of the five my five favorite web services. And I didn't want to punish them because they occasionally sponsor the show. So it's on me if you feel like we're being um, uh, what's the word? You know, we're we're selling favoritism. Out. Yeah, whatever. It's it's just not true. I just love the service. Well, so I, I would certainly say it's one of the it's one of the services, and people forget it's a web app. But I don't know web apps the right word, but it's a web service. It's certainly one of the services that has made the most impact in my life this last year. Yeah. So if you feel like that, skip forward twenty minutes. But if you haven't tried Sandbox, let's talk about. It. We're not going to turn this into a twenty minute commercial. We're just going to talk about why we like it and why it made this list. So uh, email is a really tough problem, and and really? Is there a, a book maybe that I can buy that would help me with that? Yes, there's the Max Barking email field guide available <laughs> at fine booksellers at the iBookstore. Yeah. But either way, um, so so if you don't want to buy the book and you buy SaneBox, you're, you're still going to do pretty well with this stuff. And the, the reason I think SaneBox is so amazing is because it truly is a web service. Uh, you know, a lot of the solutions for email right now, and people are trying to come up with creative solutions, but a lot of them are app based. For instance, there are several mail applications that give you the ability to defer email. And the way they do that is they do it in the application. They, they move an email to a secret location and then get, show it back to you later, which is a fine solution, except you're stuck in that application. And the thing I like about Samebox is it works from any platform with any email tools. I mean, they support exchange, they support IMAP, they support Gmail. So um, if you use the same box service, it doesn't tie your hands to a particular application. Like I use it with the Apple mail application. 
was just talking to someone the other day that uses it with some of the iOS applications. It doesn't matter. They all work. Yeah. And basically um, what, what SaneBox does is it, it sits behind, well, I don't know exactly where the layer sits, but, but it's, it's before your mail gets to your mail client. It, it sits in between your mail client and, and whatever service you're getting your email from. It's a filter that sits in between. Not really. No. Um, okay. In fact, if you have a SaneBox account, it's kind of fun when you, uh, once, once in a while are looking at your inbox, you're working an email and suddenly you see like a marketing email shows up in your inbox for like three seconds and then it disappears <laughs> and you know, Hey, same box just did its job. So it, it basically has access to your IMAP or your mail account. They do not have access to, true, yeah. they don't do not have access to the contents of your message. The only thing they see is who sent it and what the subject line contains. And based on that, and that's the premier feature of Samebox is this filtering. So if I get an email from Katie Floyd for on any subject, it goes to my inbox because Samebox knows that Katie's important to me. It goes into my inbox. (laughs) With big stars. Now, Katie Floyd gets an email from me. It goes straight into her trash. Exactly. Because... Uh, but, and, and it, it's very smart. Like for instance, I, um, I, I sell books in addition through iBooks. I sell PDFs. Sometimes people want to buy the PDF version and I get an email from uh, PayPal when someone buys one and same box knows those messages go into a different box. So I don't, they don't all come into my inbox. I wish I had so many come in my inbox that it flooded me. That would make life nice, <laughs> but e- either way. Um, so, you know, it, it does filtering and sometimes I'll get one from, a company that I buy things from, you know, and they'll, they've got a new advertisement or something and it'll filter that to a different place. And the idea is when you look at your inbox, it only shows the stuff that's really important to you. Uh, when you set it up, they, the first account, the first extra box they put in is called later. And that's something that's not important enough to make the inbox, but still not, you know, clearly marked as a, you know, a sales ad or something. And, I look through the later box once a day, or as I look at my inbox two or three times a day. So if someone sends me something and they get to the later filter, then I'm going to see it within the next 24 hours, but not necessarily immediately. And it's, it's uncanny how good the service is. Even without a lot of training, I felt like it was getting it right from the beginning. And that's the premier feature of SaneBox, but it does a bunch more. And, and another feature it does is email deferment. You want to talk about that? Yeah, the beauty about email deferment is sometimes, you know, and, and we've talked about this, sometimes it's appropriate, sometimes it's not. Do you really want to defer an email or do you just need to create an action item to deal with it later? And so I had mixed thoughts initially about the idea of email deferment. But sometimes you don't want to use your inbox as a to-do list because if your inbox starts getting cluttered with a dozen or two dozen or three dozen or, you know, gosh, sometimes it gets hundreds of items if, if you just let it go, it just becomes overwhelming and you don't want to deal with it. But sometimes your inbox is the best place for an email. It's just not the best place for an email right now. So instead of creating dozens of tasks in OmniFocus for things that I'm really just going to do on Sunday, uh, what email deferment is with SaneBox is it allows you to take an email, put it in a special folder for now, but yet bring it back at a specific time. So for example, I have a couple of deferment folders set up. Um, for I have I have SaneBox connected to both my personal account and my work account. So on my personal account, I have deferment set up. I have a Saturday box. And I know, David, you don't have a Saturday box anymore. I heard on, on Upgrade. 
I don't. Yes. Every day is Saturday and every day is Monday for me. Yeah. At this point. Um, so on my personal account, I have a Saturday box. So if I get an email that comes in on my personal account, that is really something that I don't have time to do during the week, but I know that it's something that I'll work on on the weekend. Instead of creating an OmniFocus task to do that and setting the due date for sometime this weekend, I just, with a quick file, I, f I file that email in my Saturday box. If I have some time, if I get home early and I want to start working on some of that stuff, I can always go into the Saturday box and look at it and get it. But otherwise, I think it's at like 7 a.m. or so uh, on Saturday morning, that stuff will pop back into my inbox. And sometimes I forget and I think, gosh, I had inbox zero on Friday night. And now on Saturday, I have seven messages. How did that happen? Um, but where I really love email deferment is in my work folder. So on my work account, I have three different deferment folders. Um, I have a what I have a tomorrow folder. I have a Monday folder and I have a three hour folder. And my three hour folder um, was an idea from you that I that I really liked. I have a good one once in a while. You do. Yeah. And so the tomorrow folder is for stuff that maybe comes in at the very end of the day or stuff that comes in after hours. And I just, I don't have time to really look at it or deal with it, but I'm willing to take a fresh look at it and deal with it tomorrow when I'm in the office. So that stuff goes into the tomorrow folder, pops back in my email when I get into the office tomorrow. Um, the Monday folder, I do the exact same thing, but that's for stuff that comes in after hours on the weekend. So Friday, you know, after five or Friday after like realistically four, four thirty, or anytime it comes in over the weekends, that goes onto the Monday folder. And then the three hour folder was the folder that you suggested for if I'm in the midst of a project and I really just need to defer things for a couple of hours so that I can get some stuff done. It goes into the three hour folder. And I actually use that quite a bit. Um, if I'm going to class. And so I know I'm going into class and I want to clear the decks and bring everything back three hours from now, then I'll use that. And then I will occasionally, um, like if I know that I'm going on vacation, I will set up, I'm getting, um, actually when this show airs, I'll be back from tech show because we're pre-recording it. But um, I'm getting ready as we're recording the show to go to uh, ABA tech show to speak. And I'll be gone for out of the office, I think, four days total. So I will create a temporary SaneBox folder that I won't keep forever. But I'll create a folder for whatever the date is that I'm coming back from that particular trip. And so any email that I get while I'm gone, I'll probably put in that folder. And that folder will be, I don't know, my, my May, what's it called? No, April 22nd folder, I think, is the date that I come back. So I'll create a folder that just says April 22nd that any email that I get will go back in my inbox April 22nd. Did you know that's a new feature they have in SaneBox called Sane Vacation, where it will automatically snooze emails while you're on vacation. That's have you great. played with that? Yeah. yeah. The, um, the, so email deferment, when it first came out, I thought it was a cop-out. You know, Mr. OmniFocus here, if I, an email comes in, I can't deal with it now, and it takes extended you know response, I'll save it to OmniFocus. I've done screencasts on it. There's a lot of easy ways to do that. But what I found was, uh, with like, listener email, someone writes in with a question from the show, it, me creating a separate OmniFocus task for each one of those emails becomes like a beast of its own, right. you know, managing that OmniFocus and blah, blah, blah. So, so deferment does make sense sometimes. And the other thing, if you're listening to it and you're going, well, Katie's just kidding herself, you know, why can't you just leave it in your inbox for three years, for three hours, get over it. Because three hours turns into three years. Yeah. And, and I, what I'd say to that is try this. 
you can get a free 14 day trial because I, I felt the same way. I'm like, why would I have to defer it? I'm a, I'm a big boy. I can handle that. This isn't going to be done for a day and, and just live with it there. And you know what? You actually feel better when you've got it deferred and out of the way. Right. There's a, there's an emotional weight to this stuff. And maybe it's just me, but I suspect I'm not alone in that. And email deferment really works. And because Samebox is a web service, it works in all of your apps. So like if you save it to the one week folder on your iPhone and the mail app, it shows up and it, it still goes away on whatever other app you're using on your PC or your Mac or your iPad. So it just works across the platforms. Right. Um, some and there, additional- there are different kinds of filtering folders that you can use as well. And instead of just defer, and I guess this is a deferral folder, but it doesn't pop back in your email box. You can also use filtering folders. So for example, I have a filtering folder um, for Mac power users. I set up a special sandbox folder called feedback and I have filtered certain types of emails, um, you know, just when when we get an email from the Mac Power Users web form or emails that have certain lines in the subject, we know that the, that comes through our feedback form. Those automatically go to a feedback folder. And whenever I have time, I go through and check that feedback folder. But I almost always go through on the weekends and try to clear out that feedback folder. And so uh, as much as I love getting feedback from Mac Power users, listeners, the volume that we get, I can't have that in my inbox. Yeah, exactly. And and there's more. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the other thing you can do with it is response tracking, which I think is just an amazing thing. I always had this issue with with uh, OmniFocus when I would send an email to someone saying, hey, this email is to ask you about. The, reviewing this contract I sent you, or this is emails about, you know, asking you to uh, correspond with me concerning something about Max Barkey. And I'd need to know whether they responded to me and I'd create an OmniFocus task in one week, check back to see, you know, if I got a response. And that becomes like another thing that you have to manage. And with response tracking in Samebox, I can send Katie an email that says, Katie, you know, get back with me concerning this sponsor. And I can blind copy it to one week at samebox.com or one day or one month or three hours, or it's very, it's very creative. You can do whatever you want, but some amount of time at samebox.com and then samebox will automatically capture that and say, okay, got it. Now, if Katie responds to that email to me, then samebox will say, okay, she responded. But if within the amount of time I allot, let's say one week, she doesn't respond. Samebox will send me a reminder and say, hey, a week ago, you asked me to keep track of this and she never did respond. What do you want to do about it? And right. I can further defer it at that point or I can it can trigger me to send her a follow up email. It's just a, it's a very powerful service. And if you start using it in your day to day life, you're just going to scare the heck out of people because you're going to be someone who actually keeps up with the stuff and they're going to they're not even know how you're doing it. So it's, it's kind of like cheating, but it's a lot of fun. Um, another thing they have is the black hole, which is a very strong blacklist for certain domains. And you can even apply filters based on domains. So if well, the, if the black like, hole was originally for contacts. And so you could yeah. say, if I ever get anything from this particular contact, um, then then put it. I don't ever want to see anything from this contact again and put it in the black hole. And I tell you, realistically, I seldom use this with actual life people. I, I mainly use this with with spam and things like that. But n- now they've they've got an additional feature where you can do it to entire domain names. And, you know, realistically, when you get on a spammers list, they're going to not send you email from the same email address over and over and over again, because you know that it's, it's, it's gonna, they know you're gonna block them. 
So now yeah. you do it with the entire domain. They burn the email. They use it once and then do another one. So right. it just, it's very powerful. So what's it all going to cost you? Uh, you can get one account. So one email account for $7 a month, two accounts for 12 months for $12 a month and three accounts for $36 a month. They also have increasing levels of feature and support as you up those account, the numbers of accounts. They have discounts if you buy it by the year or two years, like you get 30% off if you buy it by the year. And they have a two-week trial at any level and check it out. They also have business plans. Uh, so you can go from small business all the way up to enterprise, enterprise deployment. And they do have some very big companies using their service. Um, so my, my recommendation is it, it's not cheap, you know, but it's, it's, it's worth it to me. And if you have email as a significant part of your life, it may be worth it to you too. just try the two week trial and you'll see how good it works. Yeah. They I mean, even, you- even though this isn't a sponsor spot, should we say that if they go to sanebox.com slash MPU that they can save some money? Yeah. Why not? Why not? <laughs> so, so they get, they get, you get, uh, you get an additional discount if you go to our link. So sanebox.com slash MPU. Um, so there's some extra features though, that also fall outside that we haven't even talked about. And I can already see, we're going to probably have to cut one of our web services, Katie, cause we're 43 minutes and we're only through two, but the, um, uh, so one of the extra features is cloud storage. So you can like have it save your attachments to Dropbox, box, Google drive, Evernote, IBM cloud, whatever, you know, it'll save it for you. Um, the vacation service is a new one, the same vacation. And they have another new feature that's really nice. If you have an executive assistant, you can let the executive assistant receive the same box digest showing how they process your mail so that you can have somebody else handle some of the stuff that's not that important. They also have hooks into Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn that will allow it to get smarter about who's really important to you. So if you connect it and here's my power tip, and this is something that got added and I don't think I've ever written about this because it got added fairly recently, but now they have advanced filtering. Not only can you have same box figure things out for you, you can also train it with advanced filtering. So you can manually enter a domain for filtering kind of like Katie was talking about. You can have it filter based on certain words in the subject line. So you say, if the subject line includes the following words, put it in my inbox or put it in my later box or whatever box you want. So you can manually set those filters which is really powerful. And then it also has a thing called sane VIP where you can tell important contacts to add a certain word to the subject line that automatically puts them to the top of the line. So they've got some really good features that, and, and these are all in progress. They, they keep adding stuff to it. So it's, it's kind of nice. Yeah. I think the one thing that they probably could do better, and, and I've talked to them about this and, and they're not opposed, you know, they, they're definitely improving and, and they're definitely taking suggestions to heart because every time I talk to them, they say, oh yeah, we're working on this feature. We're adding this feature. This is under the hood and we're looking at exposing it. They're really trying to strike a balance between making it powerful, but also user friendly. Um, and I personally, as a power user would like more control over my filtering, but I, I certainly understand that there's a, there's a tipping point where they don't want to make it too complicated. Well, they can't read the contents, right? I mean, they're not allowed to, so you can filter it pretty powerfully to the extent that it's in the subject line or the, or the sender. Right. Um, do you have any power tips for Sanebox or have we done I enough? think we've covered everything with Sanebox though. Uh, for alternatives to Sanebox, if this isn't your thing, I would say, uh, if you're interested in powerful web-based filtering, Google Mail is a great service for that. I mean, uh, if you're if you like Gmail, you should be checking it out. Some of that stuff is already there. Yeah, I just activated my phone. Hmm. Oh, well. 
Well, and then also you can do um, email based filtering uh, in in an application, but those app rules tend to be better if if your email app is actually on. So you're probably going to want to have like an always on machine to to do true email app filtering. Yeah. So th- this kind of removed the need for me to have all these complicated rules in Apple Mail on my iMac because, you know, SaneBox does most of it for me. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that about covers SaneBox. Uh, David, do you want to take a quick break and tell us about our next sponsor? I would like to, Katie Floyd, and that is 1Password, one of our original sponsors, 1Password. We're so happy to have them still with the show. 1Password gives you the ability to solve that problem when you go to a website and it says, enter your new password and you have no idea what to say. So you write something silly like pencil or password or one of the other passwords that the hackers can break through very easily. 1Password actually creates a strong, unique password for you. It inserts it into the website for you and it saves it to the application. So in the future, you don't have to remember. It just automatically drops it in for you. More importantly, can synchronize that through either iCloud or Dropbox over to your iPhone and your iPad so you can have the same information on all your devices. It's just a lifesaver. It it gives you the ability to have security and convenience, which is supposed to be things that are mutually exclusive, but they're not with one password because it does both for you. It's got the ability to go and fill them in. It's on multiple platforms. It's not just on the Apple stuff. That's also on the PC and Android. And we hear from listeners every day that love one password. It's like, I tell people, I'm not going to tell you to buy a Mac, but I will tell you to buy one password because it's that important. And I wanted to tell you that they just came out with version 5.3 for the Mac and it's awesome. Uh, they've added some great new features. One of them is the ability to create and generate one-time passwords. You know, some of these web services you have where you have uh, multiple authentications give you these time-sensitive uh, passwords that or, or authentications that appear and they only at last for a minute. A lot of times that's based on a QR code that creates that, that, um, that timed password. One password can do it for you now. You can actually just take a copy or a picture of the QR code and it will generate the temporary password right within one password. It'll even display a little countdown timer to tell you how much time you have before it's going to expire. And sometimes it's only like a minute. So it's really great. Um, you can also now initiate calls and emails from one password. So for instance, if your credit card gets stolen, you can open one password on your on your Mac go to the phone number or the email address that you've saved and initial, you know, contact the, the provider right from the application on your Mac. And they've also got what I call the snow leopard feature with version 5.3. And I know, cause I've been talking to the guys, they've been working a long time on what they call bigger brains about figuring out where the websites are and where the passwords belong, because as the web gets more complicated, that's not as easy. They've re-engineered that essentially that whole engine is better than ever now. So one password is better uh, than ever at going and finding and filling in your passwords for you. Uh, I love this company because not only do they make a great product, they keep trying to make it better. And uh, I feel like the money I've invested is, is good money. One password, I use it every day. You should probably use it too. If you're already a believer, tell some friends about it because this is an application that our, that our non geek friends need just as badly as we do, if not more. So go check it out. Once again, thanks 1Password for all the support and let them know you heard about it from us. All right. So the next one on my list was Evernote. And of course, I have to choose Evernote. We've we've talked about Evernote quite a bit. So um, we'll make up a little time here because I'm not going to dwell on Evernote. We've, we've had an entire show on Evernote. But um, Evernote is the proverbial everything bucket. And I hate using that term because... 
people don't know what that means. And there are so many problems associated with something being an everything bucket. But Evernote is really where I put everything else. It is, for lack of a better word, it is my file management system on iOS. It's how I access things that I need access to on iOS. And the beauty about Evernote is that I can put something in Evernote and I know that I can access it anywhere. It's on my Mac. It's on my Mac at work. It was on my PC at work when I had a PC at work. Uh, It's on my iPhone. It's on my iPad. It is so easy to get anything I want into Evernote, whether it's by email or clipping it from the web or dragging and dropping a file in or snapping a photo with the Evernote uh, camera, which by the way, was, was recently updated. Um, It's for me, it's a great place to put things that don't have a designated spot on my computer or aren't actively in progress. It's a, um, you struggled with it. Yeah, well, this is coming on the heels of our show on Devon Think, and um, and Devon is really finding a warm spot in my heart. Yeah, because I, I feel like it's it's a lot got a lot more brains under the hood than Evernote. And, and um, I'll say that I I typically don't use Evernote for active projects though, and so that may be a distinction point between Evernote and Devon Think. Yeah, it's a it, so it's basically an archive for you. Yeah, it's an archive. The exception to my active project rule is I I will. Well, maybe I do use it for some active projects, but I don't use it for like big research project stuff. I currently I'm using it for um, collaboration with Mac Power users. It's very powerful. I mean, we've solved a lot of problems in our own show workflow. Yeah. With Evernote, um, have we ever talked about that on the show? I don't know if we have. I don't know. But we like one of the things we do is when we have a shared notebook between us and and a secret email address that we can send things to. So when well, we listener, each we each have our own secret email addresses because every Evernote user does. Yes, exactly. And so when a user or a listener writes in with something we want to add to the feedback show, um, when we reply to that person, we also blind copy it to our respective secret Evernote address. And we put in the, in the subject line at MPU feedback, I think is the term. It's mm-hmm. a text expander snippet. So I don't even remember what the term is, but when you do that, it, it, it saves, it sends the email to Evernote and saves it to the shared folder. So when we're planning the live show, we've got it done. And we had several methods that we tried that in the past and none of them were as convenient as this. Um, and so, and so what, what is the beauty of that is it, it captures, if somebody sends us an audio comment, it captures the audio from the audio comment. If somebody just sends us text, it copies the text, it copies all the link. And all of that stuff is in the MPU feedback show. And then when we're preparing the show notes for the MPU feedback, we have one place to go to to look through this Evernote folder. And then what I try to do, and I, I don't know if you do this as well, David, I hope you do. But what I try to do is when I put something in the outline to say, okay, we are, de- this is on the agenda, we are covering it on the feedback show, I delete it out of the Evernote notebook because it's like, check, covered, done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and we, you know, I was, as I was thinking, as you were talking that we talked about Evernote quite a bit in the prior show about um, Devon Think, because yeah. it was a natural kind of counterpoint to Devon Think. Um, and so a lot of the stuff in our outline has already been covered last week, Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. you know, the, it, it really is, in my opinion, I don't know if everything buckets the right word so much as it's a jack of all trades and master of none. That's probably um, true. And so, and that, that could be great if it's good enough for you on the things it does. And the thing I, the comment I made repeatedly in the Devon think show is in order to make it work on all the platforms in order to make it, you know, even available on the web. They have to process those notes that we create in Evernote in a way that makes them kind of 
to the lowest common denominator so they work everywhere. Right. And and that has an impact on the, you know, the quality of the data and it also has an impact on the ability to export the data. And and if you're willing to put up with that, Evernote really is great. Um and that's that's the thing I get hung up on because I'm not sure I'm willing to put up with that or I need to because I'm not sure how much of the stuff I need everywhere. So that's something I'm looking into and, and I'm getting, I, I'm telling you, I'm leaning towards Dev and think at this point. Yeah. Well, after our show last week, I don't see why you wouldn't. I, I have struggled with Evernote. I, I, I still am very much in love with it, but I've struggled with organization because my initial approach to Evernote was very notebook heavy. And to me, notebooks are, are very analogous to folders. I, I must have had 50 folders or 50 notebooks with an Evernote. And I just got to the point where that was unmanageable. So I've really now tried to pare my notebooks down quite a bit and I'm working much more with tags and I'm using it. I'm using it as my paper list system. I'm using it for um, all of my statements and things that I'm keeping and all of my receipts. And so I've got an organization structure for that. And I've, I've blogged about that extensively. Um, I'm using it as a reference database uh, for my legal work. I don't put any client things in there, um, but I am using it for, you know, for example, forms. You know, if you go to conferences or whatever, you'll get sample forms or somebody will say, oh, I've got a sample pleading of this um, or CLE material. Although when we talked about that in the Devon Think show, that sounded like an awesome use for CLE material um, and just general things that I might want to come back and reference. Uh, although, again, after our Devon Think show, that sounded like a pretty awesome use. And short-term planning of projects. You know, this tech show project, every, especially trips, everything related to this tech show trip that I'm I'm getting ready to go on, or as you listen to this, have just gotten back from, uh, is, is in Evernote. Everything from my ticket to my hotel reservation to a backup copy of my presentation to maps, everything is in Evernote. Yeah. So... Right. And it's pretty good. And they, you know, they, the problems that I was talking about, like exporting data, it's much better at that now and displaying data. It's, it's much better at that. These aren't mysteries to these guys. And there's a lot of really smart people trying to make it work better. Right. So, um, all right. Well, I think, uh, what's it going to cost you to get into Evernote now? The premium account is $5 a month, or you can get it for $45 a year. Yeah. And that gets you the ability to OCR PDFs on their server, which is great. Gives you priority access, which means it gets done faster. They've increased the file size upload limit. So if you want to upload a bunch of stuff with the free account, you're going to run out of space pretty quickly with the, with the paid account. I've never run out of space with a paid account. And um, they have a pin lock on iOS. So if you've got data you don't want anybody else seeing, you may want the, the paid account. Um, and then the final feature is offline notebook access. So it, you can actually download the stuff to your notebook. Like if you're going to be on the iPad, you know, one of the things I was thinking about this is if you're a big uh, iPad user, Evernote has an advantage that like something like Devon think doesn't because the, by the nature of the beast, they're not very good across platform. Mm-hmm. What else can you say about Evernote? I think we've said it. I mean, other, yeah. we, we've talked about it extensively on our other shows, including last week's show. I don't know of a good alternative, honestly, if you're looking for the cloud-based service. Yeah. I think Evernote's got this part wrapped up. There's some local solutions like Dev and Think and some of the other applications, but nothing like this in the cloud. Yeah. All right. Okay. We got another one. Do you want to take a, a sponsor break or do you want to keep going? Um, we just... I think we just took a sponsor. Do you do you want to talk a little bit about Amazon Prime first? That that may be a little that may be a short yes. one too. 
Let's do it. Yeah. All right. So Amazon Prime is one that has really grown on me the last couple of years. Um, I subscribe to Amazon Prime. I, I, I just, re- well, this, I am, I'm into year two. So I think I've been an Amazon Prime subscriber for about a year and a half. And I'll tell you, Amazon was one that it really took me a long time to get into Amazon Prime because at first I didn't see the benefit. You know, I figured I'm always getting free shipping from Amazon anyway, because, you know, most of the time when I'm ordering from Amazon, I'm above that free shipping threshold. Although at the time, the free shipping threshold was only 25. They've they've fairly recently raised it to 35 in the U.S. Um, But with Amazon Prime, they just I, I, I subscribed to it. I think it was last holiday season because you'll get a, a month free trial if you subscribe to it. And so I subscribed so that most of my holiday season packages would be shipped via Amazon Prime for free. And in using it for that month, I just thought, wow, this is pretty cool. And I just let it go. And and then after using it for a year, I had to renew it, even though they, they recently increased their price from 79 to $99 a year. I just I was using it so much. Perhaps it ended up costing me even more money, and then they just keep adding services to it. So, Are you sharing it with any of your family members? I am. Yeah, and we'll talk about that. That's one of my tips later on. But I guess we should back up and talk a little bit about what is included in Amazon Prime. Um, and this may vary a little bit by country, but what you're getting in Amazon Prime is you're getting um, free two day shipping. Now, this is only on items that are sold from Amazon. So anything that's sold third party on their marketplace by an alternate seller is not included. But most of the catalog on Amazon is sold by Amazon. So you're getting free two-day shipping on most items. Um, And that's the big draw for most people. But what is becoming an increasingly large draw for me, especially since I've become a cord cutter, and we talked about this uh, in our cord cutting episode recently, is you also get access to the Amazon Instant Video Catalog. Now, that is a competitor to Netflix, they don't have near the catalog. You know, Amazon Instant Video, at last I checked, had about 40,000 videos, including movies and TV shows that are are prime instant video TV shows. They have a lot more if you're willing to pay for them, but about 40,000 are available for free streaming if you're a prime member. Uh, Last I checked, Netflix has about 75,000, so Netflix almost has them doubled. But the titles from Amazon aren't bad. I can always find something to watch on Amazon. Um, And Amazon's pretty widely available. It's, you know, on my smart TV. It's on my smart DVD player. I recently got, um, you know, Fire Stick on on promo. So I can can now watch Amazon on my devices. Notably not on the Apple TV. But, you know, you can airplay it from, from an iPad. And so I'm really digging Amazon video. I wish those kids would just get along and, you know. Yeah. Sort that out. I don't think it's going to happen, though. No. Um, one of the features that I have not really tried, because I, I don't listen to it, I, I haven't tried any of the streaming music services, honestly, um, is Amazon Prime Music. And it's their competitor to Pandora or Spotify. But they have a catalog of over one million songs that you can stream. And that's available on iOS, Android, Fire Phone, PC, Mac, and the web. Now, they recently added, uh, they've had the Prime Photos that they've talked about for some time, and they just recently announced it's unlimited photo storage for Amazon Cloud Drive for your photos. Yeah. So, like, getting back to that issue I had with Dropbox, saying, well, I've got my photos stored up on my transporter in my Dropbox and, like, everywhere else. I haven't gone to the trouble yet of putting them up on Amazon because this is a fairly recent development, but I did an experiment with it. I'm not that excited about the the way you upload them. It feels like manually kind of intensive and 
it doesn't appear that you can use subfolders, but I haven't explored it enough to see. Maybe I just couldn't find the setting for it. So you may have this big bucket of photos. Yeah. Uh, depending on how you name your photos, that could be a problem. I am. Um, I recently did it because uh, I'm getting ready for the Photos app. I did a total export of my iPhoto library to my Drobo. And then overnight, one night, I uploaded that export to Amazon Folder or Amazon Prime Photos, I think. Amazon Photos, whatever they're called. And it it was fine. It was it was an arduous process. Thankfully, I didn't have to sit there and watch it. But it was it was really clunky. It was like you had to mount this thing almost like remember like the old iDisk. You had to mount it almost like an old iDisk. Yeah, and yeah. and drag and drop things over. I mean, how did much you, better? Did you what, put folders on there? Yeah, I I uploaded okay. the all the folders, but it was weird when I went to go look at them on my um my my Fire Stick. Some of the folders translated over, but not all of them. So it was kind of a clunky experience. I mean, so it the, sounds like that has a little room to get better. Yeah, all the photos made it, so that was the important thing. But not not all the photo structure that that I had. So at least I've got a backup of the the photos, which is good. It would be so much easier, like you said, if these kids could just get along. And if there was like a plugin to iPhoto or a plugin to Photos app that I could just back up my entire library to Prime Photos. But my guess is that's not happening. Yeah, well, and I, I think it's early days, but this is part of a $99 service that started out with just free two day shipping. Yeah. You know, I bought my barbecue with um, Amazon Prime. That's funny. I just bought a cover for my grill on Amazon. Yeah. Prime. <laughs> what kind of grill do you have, Katie Floyd? I'm curious. Uh, uh, a silver one. Oh boy! Oh boy! <laughs> no, no, no! Give me a minute. A Coleman, a Colton, a Coleman. All right. Is it? Is that? No, that's probably not right. I'm it's, a Weber charcoal man myself. No, mine's and, no, so mine's propane. It got delivered to my house. Free shipping, two days. You know, I mean, I didn't want to go to the store and screw with it. You know, I mean, it's like you got to get get it in the car and you get I it got home. It from Sears. I looked down Amazon Prime and it was there, and I'm like, okay, done. The um. Speaking of which, I uh, I did a periscope today for my backyard. Really? It was fun. I was I was talking to a bunch of listeners of the show about stuff to talk about on the cloud sharing show. It's oh. kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, so uh, another thing you can do with Amazon Prime is a Kindle l- uh, lending library, mm-hmm. which you can get books. You can borrow a book from Amazon. Yeah, this this isn't particularly exciting for me. They have about 500,000 books and you can get one book every month. But it's the Kindle only. It's not the Kindle apps. And I don't have a Kindle. I just have the Kindle on my iPad. But you got to be an Amazon Prime subscriber. And then the pantry is also a new relative, a relatively new service where you can fill a box with groceries and household goods and they'll ship it to you for a flat rate of five ninety nine. Have you yeah. done that? No, but I have experimented with this. I or I have a price this and I've got our office manager looking at it for our office because this is something we struggle with in the office setting. Buying like paper towels and and coffee creamer and things like that from an office. We have an office supply company that comes and supplies our office and buying that stuff from an office supply company is really expensive. So usually we just have an employee go to the to the local grocery store and pick all that stuff up. And it's a it's a real time suck. And I'm wondering if, you know, it, it's worth five ninety nine if we could just have Amazon ship this stuff to us on some kind of regular basis. Well, um, you don't even need to do that. Um, like in in our house, we figured out about how often we need more paper towels and toilet paper. And we have it on our repeat purchase at Amazon. <laughs> 
And so just every three months we get a box of paper towels yeah. that just shows up. And, you know, if, when you start thinking about that kind of stuff, I know that this is super nerdy, but if you can automate some of this stuff, it, it just makes your life a lot easier. And that's kind of a nice feature of Amazon. I mean, Amazon, in some ways, there's a lot of people who are really against it. And I know there was some real big problems with the way they were doing their book publishing last year. And, and I get all of that. Um, but I also know that that's really convenient. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what else I can say on that subject. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, the final thing that you get is uh, Prime members get early access to their Lightning and what are they called? Gold box deals or Lightning deals? Yeah, it's, deals. I don't know. I don't yeah. use I've never done that. So is is Amazon Prime worth it? And I, I guess that's questionable. You know, now that I am a Prime member, I can't imagine ever going back. But there was a long time where I, if you told me that subscribing to Prime was I would just laugh at you. You laugh at me a lot, Katie. Floyd. I know, but now I love at my Amazon Prime. <laughs> well, I, talk I about guess sharing it. Talk about sharing it. Yeah, Is yeah, yeah. Good? So, so you can. This would would have been my bonus tip, but um, a feature that many people aren't aware of is that you can share. Now, it's only your free shipping benefit, but you can share that with up to four quote household members. But you can share it with anybody you want, um, and and Amazon publishes it, and you're you're allowed to do that. So. I have limited mine to immediate family members, which I think is within the spirit of their rule. But uh, my mom, my dad, my brother, and one of my grandparents all use my Amazon Prime shipping, and they love it. Yeah, yeah me too. I've Once created again, monsters. Helps you get nice Christmas presents, because I just share it with them. If you're a student, you can get a $50 a year subscription. Um yeah. But yeah. I, I think it's worth it because, you know, I'm not a Netflix subscriber. You know, Netflix, the low tier of Netflix is seven ninety nine a month. That's ninety five uh oh ninety six bucks a year. Ninety five eighty eight a year is when I did the math, I think. And um I mean that's almost as much as Amazon and so it depends on, on how expansive the catalog is and I, I use the Amazon Prime video quite a bit. It's interesting to me that this started out as a way to ship products faster, maybe buy your loyalty. So you always buy stuff from them. Uh, well, they've, they've got it because and, when and I need to go buy something, Amazon is the first place that I look. Well, either way, now you can get it and so much more. I mean, you get the video and the photo storage. It, it, it truly is a web service at this point. Mm -hmm. All right. All well, right. I think that's Amazon Prime. So we, we've still got the big one left to cover. Okay. And before we do, I want to take a quick break and talk about our third sponsor for this episode, uh, kind of a web service hybrid in its own right. And that is automatic. And automatic is a connected car adapter. It plugs into your car's diagnostic port, you know, that port that the mechanic uses. Every car since 1996 has one of these ports. And automatic, then when plugged into your car, will pair with your phone via Bluetooth once you turn on the car and start driving. And this connects your car to the internet. And so... It can do all kinds of things using their free mobile app. For example, if your check engine light comes on, Automatic will tell you in plain English what's wrong. And if it's not a big problem, you can even clear the light right from your phone instead of having to go spend a costly trip to the mechanic. 
you can log all of your trips and your parking location. So you know where you went, where you went, where you went, when you went there, how long it took, get an idea of gas mileage, and it will even keep track of where you parked so you don't have to worry about your car. Perhaps one of the big safety features of automatic is it can detect a crash and call for help. Uh, and a human will even stay on the line with you until help arrives. And that can be a huge benefit with automatic. Um, if you travel for work, automatic makes it really easy to keep track of your expense reports using their free web dashboard. So you can see all of your trips and download just the one you want into a spreadsheet and go nuts. Uh, and if you have a nest, Automatic now even integrates with Nest to heat or cool your home just in time for your arrival. Uh, Automatic also integrates with If This Then That, which we'll be talking about in just a minute. So you can take your Automatic and you can connect it into all kinds of different web services to do all kinds of interesting things. So if you really want to geek out with Automatic, you can connect your car to If This Then That and be triggering things just while you drive around town, you know, I, I've got a Google Doc that I connect automatic to to log all of my trips automatically. It's it's amazing. So automatic, you would think this is something that costs quite a bit. You have to pay for it every year. No, automatic is only ninety nine ninety five, and best yet, there are no subscription fees. You pay that once, you're done. But we can do better than that. You can save 20%, which means you can get an automatic for just $80 by going to automatic.com slash MacPower. That's automatic.com slash MacPower. You can buy it there. Your automatic will ship in just two days. And if you don't like it, you can even return it. They've got a 45-day return policy and shipping is free. So go check it out at automatic.com slash MacPower. And thanks to Automatic for your support of MacPower users. All right, that, David, that really is I, kind of a web service, you know, when you think about it. Yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, I, when every time I take a trip, I always go on and download the, the mileage for my records. Yeah. Uh, but let's talk about the ways you can tie all this stuff together. And one of the, the granddaddy web services, in my mind, is If This Then That. And this is a subject we've covered multiple times on the show in passing, you know, glancing blows at If This Then That. And uh, I do think, though, that it's something you definitely want to, to look at if you want to get into these web services and because we need um, so much, so because we have so many of these web services we're starting to develop using uh, somebody had to come up with something that would allow you to tie them together. It's kind of like automator for the web. And you say, well, if something happens in this web service or this application, make something else happen in another one. And that's what if this, then that, that's the genius of that service. When you first sign up for an account, it's going to give you a list of web services. And I don't know how many they have now. I would, I would guess it's over 50. As an example, Dropbox, which we've talked about is one of them. And you can have, say, if something happens in one place, then make something else happen somewhere else. Uh, so let's give an example. Um, a very common one is Insta everybody likes their Instagram photos. And like one of the ones they've got on their, their website is trending right now is that if someone likes an Instagram photo, you take, save it to a Google spreadsheet. So that's two different services. One is Instagram. The other one is Google spreadsheets and Google has fully embraced if this, then that, I mean, the way their services are, are set up, it makes it very easy to, to address them. So you could set up a spreadsheet in Google docs that does this. In fact, don't we, I think that's what we use aren't we using the if this and that rule with twitter for the ask mpu question if you put a um, question if, in twitter yeah, if you, if you send out a tweet with the hashtag uh 
Ask MPU, then uh, because Twitter is connected to If This Then That, If This Then That can see all of the information on Twitter, and it saves those specific tweets to a Google Doc spreadsheet that we can then incorporate when we do the MPU live show. So, so If This Then That is truly If This Then That. And now it's it's limited because it's it's an if condition and a and a um it's a verb it's a verb and an action I guess it's two verbs it's a conditional if this happens then do something else so it, it doesn't have a lot of things you can say if this happens but that does not happen then you can do it you know if it was right. a little more refined you could make even more advanced rules but for what it is it's really powerful and. Uh, we hear from listeners all the time that are using if this then that to create really awesome workflows in their lives, and you know that kind of gets back to one of the fundamental premises of the Mac power users is that there are people out there looking for ways to make their computer automatically do things for them. Another really simple one for me is if it's going to rain tomorrow, send me a message. You know, the afternoon before it looks at the forecast for where I'm at. And it sends me a, a message and it sounds silly, but it doesn't rain very often here in Southern California. So I need to know the day before it rains to cover up the couch in my backyard and to do, you know, and to be ready for all the things that come with me, turn off the sprinklers and all that other stuff. So it's just a really great way to have the internet and these web services we've been talking about handle your business for you. Absolutely. And, you know, if this, then that has really upped their game recently. Um, and, and the first one is not so recently, but they introduced an iOS app that really brought a ton of the iPhone and Android. They have an Android app too, but for purposes of this show, we'll, we'll talk about the iOS app um, that brought iOS features to, to if this, then that, because how are you going to hook a web app into your I, iOS device? Well, you're going to connect it with an iPhone app. So with the iPhone app, to if this, then that all of a sudden gave if this, then that access to your reminders, access to your iOS photos, access to your location, because your um, iPhone and your iPad has GPS and can access your location and access to your contacts. So now you can add reminders as triggers to if this, then that. If I add a new reminder to this list, do this. If I create a new contact, do this. Maybe add it to a Google spreadsheet so you can create backups of your contacts. If I leave a specific area, do this. And frankly, yeah, and I just on that on that point, I yeah. mean, just because your phone knows where you're at all the time, that's giving if this then that a real powerful if. Very, very. I mean, so I think I think if this then that tremendously update uh, up to their game with with the iOS app, but even even more so. I personally, although the web interface is great and very powerful. I personally have found it very user friendly to create if this then that recipes from the iOS app, particularly from the iPad app. You know, I'll just find myself sitting on the couch or laying in bed, browsing through their their sample categories of apps and thinking, oh, or that that makes sense. Let me let me try this or let me try connecting these things together. Yeah, uh, another example is uh, if someone uh, tags you in Facebook, save the photo to Dropbox. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, all this stuff is, is really simple to set up. I, I do think it's kind of difficult. Every time we do the show on it, I feel like we're not really explaining it well enough because it, there's a couple steps involved. I, I talked about uh, recently we did the show on the onslaught and that one of the if this and that recipes I mentioned in that show was one that said, if I tag in pocket a, um, 
an article than make something happen with it. One of the ones I used was save it to OmniFocus. If I tag it with the word post, like create an OmniFocus entry for me that, that has a link to the article and lets me, you know, reminds me to write a post about that. And I, I had a lot of listeners writing me saying, I don't really understand how you did that. So I wrote a post about it and I used screenshots to show how I set it up. But just to go through it kind of in more detail, um, Pocket is an if this then that service, just like Instapaper is. And Pocket has a trigger in it that can look at, and if this then that can look at what the specific tag I use. And I have a bunch of tags I use for Pocket articles. In fact, that's probably the primary reason I'm using Pocket is because they have better integration with if this then that. So one of my tags is the word post. If if this then that sees that I've tagged a article in, in Pocket with the word post, then create an email to my secret you know, OmniFocus inbox email address. That he still won't uh, share with me. Yeah, I know. You're never getting it, Katie Floyd. Mm -hmm. You're just never getting it. Sorry. Uh, But the, um, it'll, and it'll send that email off and then it'll create an OmniFocus task that says write post about and then insert the name of the website or the, the article that I've linked and everything happens in the back end. And all I have to do is write, you just tap one tag on the articles I'm reading it in pocket. Um, all this stuff is possible because if this and that is doing all the hard work on the back end and all of these companies that are making these, these web services are making them open enough that if this and that can get their hooks into it. Yeah. And you know, you're right, David, we, we have struggled with how do you explain if this and then that, because it is a difficult concept to, to wrap your head around a little bit. And, but basically these, these outside companies and including pocket and, and Instapaper and Instagram and Facebook and others are being added on every day, but, but they are creating these hooks that if this, then that can, can lock into. And if this, then that goes through and they scour these, these services. So it's important to know that sometimes things don't happen automatically. Sometimes there's a push with if this, then that, and sometimes it's a, it's a pull with if this, then that. So, you know, I've noticed, for example, I have a, and we have a, if this, then that, um, rule that anytime something new is posted to the Mac power users, RSS feed, that if this, then that will, will send a tweet and we'll tweet to fa- we'll send a tweet and post to Facebook and post to app.net. You know, all of these things will happen. I've got separate rules set up for all these things happen and it can take up to 15 minutes for those rules to trigger based on when the last time was that if this, then that has has gone through and combed those services. Sometimes it will happen in a minute. Sometimes it will happen in four minutes. Sometimes it will happen in seven minutes. And sometimes it will be a full 15 minutes before it happens because it it's not necessarily instantaneously the next time it goes through and, and pulls those. But I think partly in response to people having difficulty wrapping their heads around if this, then that, and understanding how to use it. And I think really the only way to to do it, to understand it, is to dig in and start creating some sample rules. That's that's the best way to do it. And we'll give you some examples at the end of the show or at the end of the segment. But if this, then that um, segregated their app a little bit, and they then created a couple of spinoff apps, and that just happened earlier this year. So the if this, then that app was all was renamed if, and then they got three separate apps. The if app does everything that the original If This Then That app did. It just got a new name. But then they got three new apps, and one was called Do Button by If This Then That, Do Notes by If This Then That, and Do Camera by If This Then That. And that, I think, was their attempt to simplify If This Then That. So I'll just use Do Button, for example. 
And what do button is, is it's an app that says, all right, I'm going to give you three buttons that you can push in this app that are tied to if this, then that triggers. And so the trigger is pushing the button. So the if is if I push this button on my phone and it gives you three big push button targets on, on the app that you can push. So that's the if, if I push this button, uh, the then in the if then statement is then do this action. And so they give you some example actions, but one could be turn this Wemo switch that I've connected on and off or another, you know, could be call my phone or, uh, you know, there's all kinds of examples that, that you can use with this. And I think this was kind of helping people along with the idea of is this, if this, then that to say, okay, we'll create the first part of the equation. If this happens, you create the second part. What do you want to happen? And then, so they've carried that idea onto notes. If you create a note, tell us what you want us to do with it. Or if you take a picture, tell us what you want us to do with it. And those are what those three specific do apps will do for you. Yeah. So if you wanted to say, um, I'm going to take a picture and I want to email it to my parents who never read Facebook or Twitter or any of those other cloud sharing services, you could set that up. Or you could say, if I push this button in the do button app, then send this secret envelope to the New York Times, you know, right? Mm, <laughs> the, I, uh, not, if this and that doesn't do physical things, but yeah. Well, but I, I would like to set that up, Katie. So mm. let's, let's, let's find a way to make it happen. Send an email to your counselor. Yeah. Instructing him to release the materials to the New York Times. You can do that. Um, so either way, uh, so it's just really powerful and a lot of people have heard us talk about it and haven't tried it. And if that's you, then you should try it because you can find someone, even just like the weather one, like I said, send yourself a text message and, and you can customize it. Like if it's going to be over a hundred degrees, I get a text message telling myself not to wear pants. Well, it's a joke. Let's disable that one. It's a joke. I, but it still makes me giggle. I laugh at my own jokes once in a while. Hmm. I'm that guy. Good. Um, and it doesn't have to be to you. It could be to, you know, your family or whatever. So you can, I think the uh, text do, messages have to come to you. I was talking about the email. Oh, okay. Yeah. But the, um, and there's different levels of email support. Gmail has better uh, email support than some of the other services because they can get deeper into it. Like that, that OmniFocus rule has to be done through Gmail because it gave me more control over the subject line and some of the other things I want to do to make it, you know, process better in OmniFocus. But I have a Gmail account. I don't use it very often, but it it is connected to if this then that. Yeah. Am I supposed to call it if this then that at this point, or am I supposed I-F-T-T-T? to just call it if? Yeah, I don't know. All right. Well, let's talk about some of the recipes that we like in if this then that. You've got several here. Yeah, one that I do is um, one of the features now that if this then that has uh, an iPhone component is you can have it send you a notification. I don't want to get another email unless I need it. I don't want to get a text message unless I need it. I much prefer to get a notification. And so I have set if this, then that to be one of the few notifications that actually sends me an alert as opposed to a notification that disappears. So, and you know, you can customize your notifications and notification center. Um, so if this, then that I have a similar one, if this, then that checks the weather for me. Every morning, uh, I, I set it to check at 6 a.m. and I get like a brief uh, one line weather report every morning at 6 a.m. So that when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I mentioned that I do is I grab my iPad 
um, to, to check my RSS feeds, to check my email, to check Twitter. But the first thing that I see on my iPad, actually, I think it sends it at 5 a.m. every morning. The first thing that I see on my iPad is an alert notification from if this, then that with a one sentence weather report. I know if it's going to rain. I know what's going to happen. Um, I also, and I've talked about this in the past, use um, GIFDaddy, G-I-F-T-T-D-Y, to automatically log things to day one. And I won't go too depth into that because I've talked about it a lot before, but it's a way to automatic, uh, automate my, my journaling. Um, I track my trips with automatic to go to Google Docs. Um, and then I selectively follow sports teams like uh, the local college football team. I have an if this, then that notification to tell me whether they win or not so that I can feel somewhat intelligent talking about it at the office the next day. Be like, oh, yeah, they won. Um, and without actually having to to watch the games or remember to go check it out later. Yeah, I've, I've got so many recipes and it's funny looking through my recipes. A lot of them are. Autom- home automation things that I've, I've played oh, I've around a ton with. of those with my Wemos. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I've got one cause I've got the Wemo switch, you know, on the wall for the outdoor light, but I also have it. If I press a long press on the Wemo switch, then I have it to turn on the, the fountain. I have a little pump in my fish pond and I can turn that on with the long pull using a smart things connector. Um, another thing I've got that I, I use another weather related one is I have a little vegetable garden and I, I have it send me an SMS if it, the forecast is going to get close anywhere close to freezing so I can take care of my plants. Hmm. Um, the um, I've got a bunch of them connected to pocket. I mean, the one I shared with OmniFocus isn't the only one that I have relating to tagging. Uh, a couple of years ago, I it's just so many services you can attach this. A couple of years ago, I bought this little thing. I think it's called the Blink. Yes. Uh, and it's a little USB key you can plug into your computer. And it was just kind of a lark. I bought this thing. It was on um, Kickstarter or something. And it was like 20 bucks. And it's a USB key that has a light attached to it. And so I can have my computer light up, you know, if I've got this USB key connected to an if this, then that recipe event. So like if something happens on Facebook, I could have it light up. And I've played with it. Oh, I'm sure I've you never, do that. I've never really found a really good use for it to tell you the truth but i mean i like the idea of bringing you know something on the internet into the physical what, world. what you like should it, do is you could should connect your blink key to daisy's do button so it could be like yeah. a pager she already pretty much has me on that you know already figured out maybe i could do it every time um one of my kids spends money it could blink up like mm-hmm. a bat light um uh, uh, automatic our sponsor that we already talked about today is is connected to if this then that so one of the things i do um automatic has it has this built in but i want to kind of make doubly sure something happens and um i set it up where it sends me an sms if the check engine light gets turned on or any of the warnings get on so I've, i'm getting notifications in multiple you know platforms in essence um with the uh, ability to track to photos on ios there's a whole lot you can do there like i was I have one with that saves a screenshot to Dropbox if I want. Yeah, yeah. The possibilities are are really endless, and you know, again, I think the best way to get into if this then that is is just to try it for yourself. So I would encourage everybody to do that. Yeah, and another one that that's useful is just giving yourself a reminder. You can use a web service to send yourself reminders if you want. I mean, like just if you want to plan your week every Sunday at four p.m., you could create a rule. Yeah. All right. 
Well, David, we've talked an awful lot about various web services. And, you know, one of the criticisms we get on Mac Power users is that we, we have a tendency to cost people a lot of money. So uh, I'd like to maybe give back a little bit. And before we close out the show, um, maybe we could give people, uh, I, I think we gave them, you know, our, our, our five favorite web services. Maybe, maybe we could give them a couple of tips for saving money on their, their web services. I think that's a good idea. Just one last point on if this then that is check out Zapier. Oh. It's another uh, service. It's a paid for service. Um, I've used it as a test account. I haven't fully committed. It's got a little bit more customization, a little bit more. Um, I don't think they have as many services connected to it, but I know they're working on it, but it is a paid for service. And one of the things we all kind of worry about if this and that is I've never paid them a dime and I don't know how they keep that business model working without at some point. Yeah collecting my information or collecting my money. So uh, Zapier, check it out. Um, okay. So, but before we get on with how to save money and all these services, I want to talk about our last sponsor today. And that's our friends over at Squarespace. Now you may not have heard of Squarespace. They're a company that's not very well known in podcast circles, No, but, never. but they're, they're the easiest way to create beautiful website, blog, or online store for you and your ideas. Katie and I are both Squarespace users. And the reason why I like Squarespace so much is um, I am kind of a nerd, but I don't want to spend a lot of time learning how to create websites. It's just not my interest. I would rather be talking about if this than that than website development. And what I like about Squarespace is they do all the hard work for me. They create these really powerful, beautiful websites that I can easily customize without having to dig into the code, but literally just taking my mouse and dragging things around the screen. It feels a lot like an Apple experience. And one of the nice bits about Squarespace is not only do they build the blogging platform or the, the website engine, they also host it for you. So everything is handled by one person. Um, if you've ever done your own websites before, you know that there's like a separate hosting company and a separate you know platform that you built the website on. And they're always going to point fingers at each other if something goes wrong, saying it's their fault. Uh, that doesn't happen. Squarespace takes responsibility for the whole widget, and that makes it really easy. And they really are there for you when you need, for, when you need them. They have 24-7 support via live chat and email. And the few times I've had problems with my websites, they've always been, like like I said, just right there. Now, a plan starts at just $8 a month, and you get a free domain if you buy it for a year. And I've actually lost track of the number of year accounts I've bought uh, through Squarespace through the various ventures of the Sparks family. I've got my, my law firm is on Squarespace, my wife's business, my daughter's stuff. We, we all are using Squarespace sites, and we just love it. Uh, every time I hear from a friend that has a website that they're running through some other you know open source or some other project, and they tell me how their website got hacked. I just tell them, you know, why are you screwing around with that stuff? Just go over and get yourself a Squarespace website because it, it just nobody has those types of problems when it's all run by one company. And they even have commerce. So if you want to sell something from your website, you can do it right there. It comes with all the plans. Uh, you can get bigger plans with more commerce depending on how far you're going to go down that rabbit hole. Uh, one of the other new features they have now is cover pages, which is a feature that allows you to set up a beautiful one page online presence in just minutes. So we love Squarespace. So do the listeners and uh, of our show of our show and the readers of our websites. I just put a thing out on Twitter before the show started and had a bunch of people sending in their Squarespace sites. I'd like to point out for this week, the class nerd website, and that is at the class nerd.com. Um, it's done by Craig McClellan and, 
Craig, who's also known as Mr. M or Mr. M. Can you sharpen my pencil? He's, uh, He's in grad school to earn his master's degree in elementary education, and he's got a great website about being a nerd and a teacher, and I thought it was really great. So go to theclassnerd.com, and he's got a bunch of great stuff in there, like Omni Outliner in Education or the Usefulness of the Apple Watch. I think it's going to be a really great resource for teachers out there, and it looks beautiful because he did it in Squarespace. So go check that out, and if you decide you want to build a Squarespace site of your own, uh, We've got a free offer code to get you 10% off. So when you go to sign up for Squarespace, use the offer code MPU uh, when you check out and you get 10% off that price. So thanks to Squarespace for their continued support of the Mac Power users. Squarespace, build it beautiful. Thank you, Squarespace. All right. So before we get the hate mail from our listeners about costing them yet more money, because, you know, which what we have a tendency to do on Mac Power users. Um, let's, let's talk about some ways that you can actually save money on some of these cloud services. Okay. Starting with the cloud storage problem. Um, like we talked about earlier, I'm paying a hundred bucks a year to get a terabyte and Dropbox. Uh, there are some options to that. Uh, one of them is, uh, if you use something like a transporter of which I have two, <laughs> you could, uh, you can attach as big a drive as you want and there's no annual fee. So I could put a four terabyte drive on that thing. And I'm done for essentially the cost of one year of storage. So, you know, you can find something else. Pogo plug is another one of the developers out there that has a device that you can plug in and store it yourself. Yeah. Uh, But the idea is basically bring your own cloud, bring your own server. Yeah. And it has its own additional benefits as well. Like I said earlier, you can disconnect it from the cloud when you feel the need. Um, another way that you can save money on these various services is many of them have refer a friend programs where you can either get credit towards service or get money back or get, uh, you know, free storage or, or free months. Um, notably, uh, Dropbox, uh, Backblaze is another one. Actually, Backblaze made a list back when it was 10 services, but, um, you know, when we had to cut it down to five, uh, Sanebox has a refer a friend program. So if you can get involved in their refer a friend program, lots of these various web services have those. Amazon has an affiliate program. So those, those may be ways that, that you can either save money or make a little bit back or get some free time on, on your various cloud services. But likewise, a lot of them have educational discounts. So uh, Dropbox and Amazon Prime, for instance, both have educational discounts. Uh, Look into it. If there's a web service that you're interested in and you're in school, take a look. Because a lot of times these guys will accommodate you. They want to get you hooked before you're making big bucks. So a lot of them have the ability to, to give you a little discount to get in while you're a student. Yeah. And sometimes, and I've done this recently, but you have to be very careful to make sure that you're buying from a legitimate source or you could end up losing money. Uh, you can buy codes for various web services on eBay. Uh, the last couple of years that I have bought and renewed my Evernote subscription, um, I have paid less than $45 to renew that subscription because I've done it through eBay. I've bought it from people who are selling codes on eBay because they've got them from somewhere else. You know, for example, a lot of times you'll, you'll, you'll find, um, uh, subscriptions to these services as part of a larger bundle, or they'll get them through something else and they don't need them. And so you can usually pick them up inexpensively on eBay. But again, the caveat there is just be very careful because you, you could end up buying nothing. Yeah. I've been very leery about that, but like uh, just recently there was a, an advertisement that came out. I received it in my email box about the productivity pack. I don't know if you saw that. I, 
as well, but they had the ability to get you Evernote, Pocket, Dropbox. That uh, was New from York Stack Times. Social, I think. No, was it? I think I, I don't remember. I don't know, but either way, it was it was for a discounted. It was basically the price of an Evernote one year subscription. You got multiple subscriptions, and mm-hmm. I went ahead and did that. So just keep your eyes out there. I mean, these these people, just like anybody selling a product, there's going to be deals if you keep your eyes peeled. Um, another point is, you know, audit your web services. Make sure, like me, you know, that you're not buying things that you're not using that much. Um, I recommend just keeping a little numbers spreadsheet. And that's because I'm an Apple guy. And I have a little numbers spreadsheet. All the monthly or yearly stuff I'm buying, I keep a list in there. And once in a while, I'll just take a look at it and see what can get cut off. And keep the, the email address or phone numbers that you need to get out of them handy as well in that spreadsheet. So that makes it easy to get out of it. Yeah, you know, we're so easy I and mean, we're, we're so accustomed to quickly, oh, you know, it's only two or three bucks a month or, oh, it's only, you know, X amount of dollars. But yet it, it becomes easy to all of a sudden that that turns into real money. Although I'd add that if you're using them, it is only two or three bucks and it can make your life substantially better. So, you know, don't be afraid to try some of these services out. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely true. But just be careful that you don't buy stuff you don't need. Okay, well, see, aren't you glad we didn't do 10? I am glad we didn't do 10. Man, whew. And now I realize why we haven't done it if this the that show. It's just impossible to really explain it without having a visual component. See, aren't you saying that I was right now? Yes, Candy Flood, you were right. I was right that Once we couldn't again. have done a whole hour and a half show on if this then that because it is very difficult to explain. Okay. All right. So we made it through five good web services. Which one did we miss, guys? If there's something that you think that we should have covered or if there's some super tip about one of the five we did cover that you think we should include, send us an audio comment or send us an email and we'll put it in the live show outline. Um, If you'd like to learn more about uh, these show notes we have on the show, uh, go over to MPU. Well, is it MacPowerUsers.com slash 252. No, that's not right. This is why you don't get to do that. See how we screw this up? (laughs) Yeah. What's the slug we use for the show now? Yeah, it it changes. MacPowerUsers.com slash. Just go to MacPowerUsers.com and you'll find all the links to the show notes. Or you can go to 5x5.tv slash MPU. Well, and if you go to. Five by, I know this, 5 by 5 um, dot TV slash MPU slash 252, you're going to get the show notes. There you go. Okay. Well, either we're going to fix that. We're working on it. And um, if you want to contact us, you can send feedback to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. You can find us on Twitter. We are at MacPowerUsers. Katie's at Katie Floyd, and I am at Max Sparky. Did I miss anything, Katie Floyd? I think you got it all. All right, great. We will see you all next week. 